everybody, it's Rich. Welcome, or welcome back, to the Access Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel, where you'll find our complete Sunday experience with music, as well as great content for kids and students. Visit accesschurch.com to keep up with everything going on around here at Access, and subscribe to our email list. We'll send you helpful suggestions each week designed to help you make friends, grow in faith, and live with purpose. Most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Ron Blue was born in 1942 in Atlanta, Georgia, and he ended up going to Indiana for school and got his degree in accounting. And then, uh, like many people, he got married, he kind of buckled down, started his career, and through his 20s and 30s and 40s, he was an accountant for one of the big accounting firms in Indiana, and uh, just kind of putting one foot in front of the other and kind of moving through his life. But in his late 40s, uh, Ron began to help some couples in his church with their finances. He started off helping them with their taxes. And then as the relationship grew, he started to do more comprehensive financial planning with these couples and these families. And he discovered to his surprise that many people who were uh, attending church, who said that they were followers of Jesus, really had never thought about making the church or the mission of Jesus Christ a priority in their finances. And so he started to help them think about what it would look like if they gave a priority percentage of their income back to God out of everything that he had given them. And then he started to hear these stories back from families as he was helping them. And they were just incredible stories of the ways that they were seeing God not only unlock their own hearts toward generosity, but the things that God was doing through their generous giving in some of the organizations that they were supporting. And as he heard more of this, God really began to uh, kind of stir something in Ron Blue's heart. And he started to think, you know, maybe, maybe God wants to do something in me bigger. Maybe God wants to do something more in me. Now, around this time, Ron and his wife, Judy, and their kids, they had relocated back to where he was from in Atlanta. And uh, when he was 50 years old, Ron Blue wrote in his journal. And uh, he showed me this journal page. It was part of an audience like this. And he put this uh, up on an overhead projector, actually. And um, he showed his journal page. And it was really fascinating to see how he had written down a list of things that he had not done in his life. And yet he felt like there might be opportunity for him to amplify his impact if he would to do some of these things. And so the first thing, for example, was he wrote, write a book. And then he drew a line. And in the next column, he wrote all the reasons why he shouldn't do this, why he was not qualified to do this, why he didn't have the skills or the talents or the abilities or the experience to do this. And then he drew a line. And in the next column, he wrote, what's the first step? Well, I do know someone who's in publishing. Maybe I could call them and begin the conversation. And he began to do this with several things on the list. And I would guess that if you've heard of the name Ron Blue, many of you probably haven't, but if you have heard of Ron Blue, everything that you know Ron Blue for today, he accomplished after his 50th birthday. He accomplished after he made this list and his notebook. And I heard him give this presentation the year that I was 50. And this was profound for me because if uh, like many of us, you've been kind of like just 
trying hard to put one foot in front of the other and raise your kids and keep the, everything on the rails. Uh, by the time you hit 50, you're tired. <laughs> and you know what? You start to think like a little bit more about, you know, the downhill slope a little bit. You feel like I've been grinding and grinding and grinding and working uphill and now kind of go downhill. When I met Ron Blue, he was 78 years old and he said, hey, I apologize if I push you out of the way, but I'm very aware that I don't have much time left and I'm in a hurry everywhere I go and everything I do. Ron Blue um, sat down with a young man named Andy Stanley in 1995. Andy Stanley had this vision for creating a church in North Atlanta that would be a, not just another church in town, but a place where people who are far from God could maybe explore questions about God while being welcomed into relationships. And Ron Blue, after having lunch with Andy, said, Andy, you pull together a team of staff, I will go and get your funding. And Ron Ballou then began a new journey in the 90s of really helping mobilize a generous givers for the kingdom of God. And around 2000, Ron began to, he brought together a group of advisors and he had a vision. What if we could link together other Christian financial professionals and we could help these Christian professionals not only be encouraged as they give financial planning to their clients, but we could begin to introduce to our clients this idea of incredible generosity. And, and what if we could create a network of Christian financial planners and out of that network, we could see a billion dollars given to the kingdom? What if we could see a billion dollars given away? Now, this is a guy who just was meeting individually with families and working through their individual budgets and their finances and trying to get their taxes paid. But God began to show him that through his gift and through what he could help people understand about the way that God works through us, that he could begin to help people see a bigger vision for their lives. And so he began to do that. That organization that he started uh, 20 some years ago is now called Kingdom Advisors. It's a network of uh, thousands of financial professionals. And um, back in 2020, just before the pandemic, I actually got to be at a meeting of Kingdom Advisors down in Orlando where Mart Green, the son of David Green, who is the founder of Hobby Lobby, was there. And um, Martin announced that his family had just through the coaching of Kingdom Advisors and um, the Christian Foundation, National Christian Foundation, um, that they had pledged to give away 90% or about $10 billion worth of the value of Hobby Lobby. Kingdom Advisors is closing in on $100 billion that they have seen given to Kingdom ministries and kingdom opportunities because one young man, he was 50, I'm going to call him young. One young man was willing to just start with a blank sheet of paper and write down some ways that he felt like God might still use him. And I want to encourage you today, as we uh, continue to look at the life of Nehemiah, that there are ways in which God might use you in powerful ways. And if you feel like you're tired, if you like you just want to take your foot off the gas, if you feel like, you know, it's just time to maybe put it in neutral for a minute, I get that. I understand that fatigue. I understand life is hard. I understand that life can come at us and in all kinds of ways. But I want to tell you that God is not finished with you yet. And 
God has a vision for your life, much like he did for Ron Blue. God has a vision for your life that is bigger than your life. You may not see it yet. You may not feel it yet, but God has a vision for your life. And I wanna help you discover that as we move through this series. And I hope that you'll put in a little bit of time in between Sundays, because honestly, this is one of those series that if you just show up and you listen to the messages on Sunday, it's not gonna happen for you. You've gotta put in some work. You've gotta do some homework. You need to be willing to sit down and spend some time thinking about God, what, what would, what would a God-fueled vision look like in my life? God, how might you use my talents, my skills, my experiences, everything that, that you've led me through to this point, even some of it, some really hard things, even some of it, some things that you might be ashamed of, but what is it that God might have led you through to get you to this point today where he can really use you to do some big things. Because I believe that when you find your why, you will find your way. And I wanna help you find your why. I wanna help you find your way. I wanna discover um, what God has in store for you because I think that there's some really, really exciting things ahead for us individually. And I think there's some things that are exciting for us collectively as a church together. So that's why we're doing this series. The series is called Not Coming Down. And uh, we're calling it Not Coming Down. We're gonna learn why today as we continue to look at the book of Nehemiah. But this is a, this is a, a series on vision but sometimes I, I'm reluctant to say that because I think when we hear the word vision, we think of visionaries. And when somebody uses the word visionary, we think of Steve Jobs. We think of uh, Elon Musk. We think of someone who comes onto the scene and just completely changes the trajectory of human history. The interesting thing is we don't know how God might use your story to change the trajectory of someone else's life. We don't know how God might use your story to change the trajectory of even the broader story that God is writing across history. In fact, that's why the Bible is so much fun because you read these stories about, honestly, if you think that the Bible is full of stories of saints, then you have not read your Bible. The Bible is full of stories who are, of people who are messed up. People who, they bring all kinds of baggage to the equation. And God shows up in the middle of that and he adds something, he changes something, he does something in their life that allows their lives to accomplish something significant that eventually points back to God. And so if you're here today and, uh, and you're looking for a little bit of, of um, purpose in your life, if you're looking for a little bit of direction in your life, I am so glad you're here. And maybe you're here today and you're just here because a friend invited you and they offered you free lunch afterward. And um, you might consider yourself to be even skeptical of these issues of faith. And I would say this is an awesome series for you to be here for because there's actually not one miracle in the story of Nehemiah. There's nothing in this that you have to go, oh, wow, I can't believe that that really happened. This is just a regular guy who responded to an irregular vision that God placed on his heart. And then he followed some really great principles about motivating some other people to also understand and see and secure the vision that God had for them as a people. And then the ways that they resisted all of the, all of the obstacles that popped up along the way. And so I hope you'll learn a lot with us today as we experience or explore the story of Nehemiah uh, not coming down from what God had called him to do. Now, the challenge for many of us is um, we just don't feel like visionaries most of the time. 
We feel like this is describing someone who's, you know, got a much, much higher calling. I'm just trying to do my thing. I'm just trying to get through the day. As I said earlier, just trying to keep your family together on the rails, move it in the right direction. If you've got little kids, God bless you. If you've got teenagers, God bless you 10 times. Like it's tough, right? It's hard. And there's not a lot of time in your day to sit down and just kind of carve out what your vision is for your life. But that's why I feel like we've got to talk about this on Sunday morning. And congratulations, by the way, you've already taken the first step. You've already taken the first step just by carving out some time on a Sunday morning. It is not easy to work Sunday morning into your schedule. And for everything else that you've got going on in your life, you've decided that you're going to spend some time here today an hour away from all the complexities and distractions of life to just give some thought to your heavenly father and to give some thought to what he might be asking you to do with your life. And so the fact that you're even here today, the fact that you're taking this hour, thank you and congratulations, you've taken the first step. Now the next step is just give God a little bit of time during the week and begin to pray and begin to ask God, what is it that he might want to do with your life that's bigger than your life? Because when we get discouraged and when we get distracted and when we feel afraid and all of that, it's really because of this one problem that we have. The problem is that we haven't connected what we do with a compelling why. We haven't connected what we do every day to a compelling why. We're caught up in the what, the what, the what, and we miss the why. And there's another, there's another problem that we run into often as well. And um, to talk about this problem, I want us to all practice saying this one word together. I think this is an incredibly powerful word. Uh, John Woodall, who's one of my mentors, taught me this word with regard to how I listen to my wife. And I found it to be so helpful in our conversations together. She's found it really helpful in our conversations together. We found it so helpful with friends of ours. And I, this, is, this is a word that I just want everyone to say together with me. And the word is this word. Wow. Can you say that word? One, two, three. Wow. Now I want you to say it like you're not rolling your eyes. I want you to say it like with some enthusiasm. One, two, three. Wow. Wow. That's right. Wow. When your spouse walks into the room and starts to share their vision with you, you have one word to say. Wow, that's right. And when you are listening to your spouse and they're talking about something that you're just thinking, all you can think of is like, "Mm, oh yeah, you know, they're so sweet. God bless them, you know? I want you to say, that's right. And when your teenager walks into the room and your teenager has this new idea for what they might want to do or how they're going to be an influencer or a YouTuber or a professional gamer, I want you to say, wow. that's right. Because it turns out that when it comes to vision, wow is one of the most powerful words that you can say. And a vision can get howled to death. It is possible to kill a vision with one word, and that word is how. And so I want you to learn to say, wow, not how. If you can hang on to this, I mean, you know, the rest of the sermon is just free. This is just, this right here is gold. It will help you in your marriage. It will help you in your parenting. It will help you with your boss. When your boss walks into your office and he or she has this incredible idea and they're pitching it, you just go, Wow. Right? Everybody say it with me. Wow. All right. I want you to say this so much here that you have a little bit of practice because a lot of us don't have practice saying wow. A lot of us have a lot of practice saying 
how. And um, there's a time for how. Don't get me wrong. There's a time for how. It's later. It's later. And by the way, when you, another tip that I've learned over the years, when you introduce the how, don't use the word but. There should be no buts exposed in your conversations, okay? You use the word and. It's just a subtle little shift, but it is really powerful. So, so you say, wow, that's amazing. And we could talk about the budget that would be necessary for that, right? And is a really powerful word and it doesn't throw up all the barriers that but does. But anyway, um, learn to say, wow, not how. And I wanna just take one minute here and talk to um, you, not just about your vision for your life, but the vision that God might be putting in the hearts of the people that you are closest to. Because it turns out that you not only have the ability to be powerful carriers of vision for what God is doing in your heart and your life, but you have the power to either amplify or extinguish the flame of vision that's going on in the lives of the people that you love. You have the ability to amplify or extinguish the vision that God has put in the heart of your spouse. You have the ability to amplify or extinguish the vision that God is putting in the hearts of your kids. And I wanna tell you something about vision and your kids. I hope you have a vision for your kids. I hope you have a clear and compelling vision. And I hope that you are sharing that vision with them often because the most powerful visions are not shared from someone standing on a stage wearing a microphone. The most powerful visions are cast by moms and dads who are kneeling by their kids' beds. Dang it all. Two weeks in a row. <laughs> who are kneeling by their kids' beds and are casting a vision for what their lives could be and should be at five and six and 15 and 16. And I'm telling you parents, mm, you have power in your words, power in your words. And the reason I get emotional is because I wish I had understood that better sooner. I wish I had understand that more earlier. And I've had to circle back and I've had to apologize and I've had to say to my kids, but you know what? When you're next to their beds, and I, I do feel like we did this pretty well with our kids, but we began to say to them early, early, early on when we would do our prayers with them at night, you have no idea how God might use you. You have no idea how God might use you. Do not make decisions now that will limit the ways in which God can use your life. Your life right now, it's like this. It is wide open. God can do anything with you. Do not make decisions to narrow the scope of how God can use you in your life. Cast vision, not for what they're going to do or what they're going to accomplish or what they're, how they're going to succeed or what they're going to earn in life. Cast vision for the kind of human that they are going to be and the ways that God might use them to bring light into this world. All right, how, how is really something that we are inclined to ask. Not just when someone else shares a vision with us, but when God shares a vision with us. And, you know, I just thought it'd be good to look at one example of somebody that we all admire, we all think very highly of. And yet when God told her what his vision was for her life, her very first question was, how will this be? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? So if you feel like, yeah, I got some how questions, I just want you to know Mary had more. She had a lot of how questions. 
But see, the important thing was not how, the important thing was who. And so I want you to learn to say wow and not how. And then I want you to learn to say who and not how. Because the important answer to Mary's question was not how. And the important answer was who. Who was casting the vision? Who was giving her the vision? Who had given her purpose and meaning for her life that was bigger than her life? And as you begin to understand a vision for your life that comes from God, then the how, and again, the how does need to be addressed, but the how comes later. In the beginning comes understanding and accepting that God is calling you to something great, something bigger than yourself. So we begin by looking at the story of Nehemiah. And uh, as we said, Nehemiah was a slave. He was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. He was living in Susa, which is like southern Iran today. And um, he had been, his, you know, he had been born there and raised there. His family had lived in that area for a hundred years as slaves. And now God has given him a vision when he hears about the walls of Jerusalem that are broken down. And so God begins to grow or stir or birth a vision inside of Nehemiah's heart. And Nehemiah believes that God has given him the, the vision, the instructions to go back and to rebuild the wall. And the question, of course, for us, especially in 21st century America, is why did the wall matter? Why is the wall such a big deal? And the answer is that this is the wall around Jerusalem. And in ancient times, you were so vulnerable to any raiding armies that a wall represented security, a wall represented permanence, a wall, a wall represented a sense of place. Like a wall was a really big deal in their culture and because of the challenges that they faced and because of the the complete lawlessness that was uh, true in most of the world at that time, that having a city with walls was significant. And beyond that, God had given Israel a really important vision for the existence of Israel. Remember that when God first spoke to Israel, Israel was just one guy. Israel was Abraham. And God had a vision for Abraham and what God would do through his family. And then Israel was just a family and then they became a little bigger family and a bigger family and a bigger family. But the vision never changed. And this is the vision that God had for the nation of Israel. And this is the way that it's written in the book of Isaiah. He says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And you can find many other times in the Old Testament where God cast a very clear and compelling vision for the family and later the nation of Israel that their very purpose was not just to be a nation in and of themselves, but their very purpose was to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. In fact, we don't have time to unpack it today, but if you do just a little bit of exploring as to why Israel is located where Israel is, it is at the, the crossroads of the ancient world. All of the ancient trading between Africa and Asia and the Eastern nations and Europe, like it all came through Israel. It's the crossroads of the nations. And God specifically put Israel right there to say, you are going to be a light to the nations. That was the purpose that Israel had. Israel had a purpose and that purpose was to point to God. That was the purpose for Israel. Now you also have a purpose. 
And if you're unclear on what that is, and, and I can't help you unpack all the specifics of that, but I can tell you in the biggest sense, in, this, in the sense that matters the most, your purpose is to point to God. You have a purpose and that purpose is to point to God. In fact, when Jesus spoke to his followers in Matthew chapter five, this is the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made it really clear. He took that vision that God had given the nation of Israel and he transferred that vision to the church or he transferred that vision to followers of Jesus. If you're here today, then Jesus has cast a vision for your life. And the vision that Jesus cast in Matthew 5 is this. He said, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. That is a vision. Stephanie did a phenomenal job of casting vision for our kids. Every time they would get out of the car, every time they would go to a friend's house, every time they'd go to a sleepover, every time, honestly, anytime we thought they might get into trouble, (laughs) which was every day. Pastor's kids, you know, they're not perfect, just FYI. And, uh, but every time they were leaving the house, she would say, you are a child of light. Never forget, you are a child of light. Your purpose is to bring light to a darkened world. And let me tell you, you cannot lose sight of that vision for your life. I know every day you've got to, you wake up and you've got a to-do list, but before you look at that to-do list, you need to spend a little bit of time with your heavenly father and allow him to remind you that you are a child of light, that you are called to be light in the darkness. You have to come back to this every single day. You have to allow him to remind you of his vision for your life because when you lose your why, you will lose your way and you will become discouraged and you will become depressed and you will get burned out and you will wonder if life has any meaning, if life has any purpose or something big will happen to de- to, to knock your, your wheels out of alignment and you will feel like I'm just wobbling down the road and I don't know where I'm going anymore and it's hard to keep the steering on center and I, am, I have just been knocked for a loop and you will wonder, have I lost my way? And you haven't lost your way, but you will if you lose your why. And that's why it's so important for us to talk about vision in this series. What is God's vision for you? You don't have to be an inventor, an entrepreneur, a CEO to have a vision for your life. What is the vision that God has called you to? And I I wanna make one quick distinction here. And that is, if you're not careful, other people will be more than happy to tell you what God's vision is for your life. Um, Have you ever had this situation where somebody shows up and they kind of speak to you on God's behalf? It's a weird thing. Maybe that's just a thing that we pastors get a little more often. I mean, I've had some people come up to me, just crazy stuff um, that we don't have time for the stories, but we Someday we will because they're good stories. But people that just show up and they, they, you know, God told me to tell you. And I'm like, that's fascinating. Um, Anyway, uh, you you should spend some time with God on your own determining what God's vision is for your life because other people will be happy to set that vision for you. If you don't set that vision for you, people around you will do so. Your boss will do so. Your kids will do so. Like it'll be so easy to get 
um, off track and to not really know what your vision is. In fact, you know who would love to set a vision for your life? The people that read the news every night. Every night, they've got something that you need to be all worked up about. Every night, they've got something that you need to be concerned about, that you need, this is the thing that you need to post about on social media. If, if, and, and I get it. I get the exact, like, I am vulnerable to the exact same thing. You hear somebody say something, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's the biggest deal in the world right now. And the tendency is like, swing around and like, tell everybody else this is the biggest thing. Let me tell you, vision is different from compassion. You can care about something. You can see something in the world that is sad. When you see something that makes you sad and it makes you concerned, that is not the same as vision. That is compassion. And it's good to have compassion. It's good to be moved by what's broken in the world. But there is something unique about a vision that God is calling to you, you to where you have this idea of what could be and what should be and how God is going to use your life to accomplish this. And so I want to ask you, what are you doing that can only be done by a Jesus follower? What are you doing that can only be done by a Jesus follower? Because a God-fueled vision is going to point back to God. And only those who are committed to following Jesus, only those that have given their lives to God can truly point back to him. And so the question is, you and I are called to something that no one else can do. If you think, oh, here's this thing and I'm, I'm passionate about it. One of the questions I think you ought to ask yourself is, could someone else do that if they had no relationship with Jesus Christ? Could someone else do that if they weren't following Jesus every day? And if the answer is yes, then I think you should move on and you should say, okay, what's a vision that specifically is going to point back to God? Because I have a vision that Jesus cast for my life that I am a light to the world. And so one of the questions that we ask here as a church on a regular basis, somebody comes to us and they have a, a really good idea, a really good project. And we say, you know what? That sounds awesome. One of the questions we ask is, could we do that if we weren't followers of Jesus? And if the answer to that is yes, then we say, you know what we should do? We should all get up early on a Saturday morning and we should go out to see Mark Ranch and we should volunteer and we should help them accomplish the mission and the vision that God has given them. But that is not the vision that God has given us because the vision that God has given us is more specific. It's about being a light to the world. It is about sharing the fact that Jesus came and did something that only Jesus could do. In fact, I want you to think for a minute. Now, I, I, I'm, I don't have time to get on this uh, little soapbox here, but... You know, Jesus is being rewritten in a lot of circles. As if Jesus' purpose on earth was to feed the hungry and to heal the sick. And I want you to know that I think it is awesome that the church of Jesus Christ should be all about healing the sick and feeding the hungry. Please don't get me wrong on this. But that was not the purpose of Jesus' life. Let me ask you something. Was Jesus perfect in everything that he did? Yes or no? Somebody, yes, thank you. That's such a preacher question. Yes, okay. So when he fed people, why did they get hungry again? When he healed people, why did they die? Was Jesus not good 
at healing people? Was he not good at feeding people? Or is it possible that the vision for his life was to seek and save the lost? And the reason that he showed up and fed people and the reason he showed up and healed people was to open their hearts so that they would hear his voice when he said, your sins are forgiven. That is the mission of the life of Jesus. And that is the mission of his church today. And so we will, we will do all these things. We will show up at Seamark Ranch. We will support them. We will show up at Homeless Coalition. We will support them with our time and our energy and our money. But we as a church, we have a vision that is so much bigger. We have a vision that is to lead people into an eternal relationship with their heavenly father. All right, I lay all that out because that is our vision as an organization. It's your vision if you are a follower of Jesus. But the problem is it is so easy to get distracted. And so I want to, I want to go to this part of the story of Nehemiah from which we draw the title of our series, not coming down. You might've wondered, why are we calling this not coming down? Well, here's, here's where we're going to find out where we drew the title from. So uh, now when Sanballat, now I highlighted his name because Sanballat is like all through the story of Nehemiah. You definitely should read this story. You should read your Bibles. These stories are so fantastic, but he is the Darth Vader of the story. You know, every story needs a good villain and Sanballat shows up and it's like, every time he walks in, you just hear like, dun, 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 Like he's got his own theme music when he comes on the scene. And Sam Ballot has been trying all through, we kind of skipped ahead here. And so uh, we're chapter six now, but, but Sam Ballot through all the way through chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, Sam Ballot has been trying different things to discourage uh, and dissuade the people of Israel from rebuilding the wall. And he's kind of tried several different things. Uh, he started off just kind of mocking them and they were making jokes about how, you know, what miserable craftsmen the Israelites were and how terrible they were at this. Even if a fox jumped on one of these rocks, the whole wall would crumble and fall over. And, and that didn't work. That didn't discourage people. So then he began to threaten them physically. And, um, and he, so they began to threaten militarily. And so then it came to the point where Nehemiah kind of had to change strategies a little bit, which sometimes to maintain your vision, it is necessary to adapt your strategy but he had to change his strategy, which said that then the Israelites began working where they would, they would have a weapon in one hand and a tool in the other hand, because they always had to be prepared to defend themselves. And, and, but they continued on the work. This didn't slow them down. And so finally, Sambalat and his colleagues, they decide that they're going to go after Nehemiah himself. And so um, Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies. Now, who are they and why are they enemies? Well, it turns out they are other governors. They are um, other politicians in the area. And what they really resist is the fact that Nehemiah has moral authority as he leads, which means he is not, he has the freedom as a governor to overtax the people and keep the extra tax for himself. And he's not doing this. In fact, he's being generous and he's taking care of the people of Israel. And so he's earning all of this goodwill because they're saying, hey, it's possible that someone could be a governor and not be corrupt. And the rest of these politicians are like, pretty resentful that Nehemiah is kind of exposing them for being as corrupt as they are, and they see him as a threat. And so they want to see this work stop. So they show up, and they heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it. So they're almost done with the wall at this point. Although up to that time, I had not set up the doors in the gates. 
Sanballat and Geshem sent to me. So they sent a messenger saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. And that should have been his warning right there, right? Unfortunately, they weren't in English, didn't work that way. But he's like, in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, get out your notebooks, get out your pens, write this down. If you've got a Bible, highlight it. If you have the Bible app, you know, you can highlight stuff in the Bible app. You need to highlight this verse. He said to them, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Some of us need to have that tattooed on our forearms. Some of us need to have that hanging from the rearview mirror. Some of us need to write that on a card and stick it on our mirror so that we see it every day. Some of us need to write that inside the cover of our Bible. And we need to review that every day. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I cannot be distracted. You see, there are three things that Sanballat used to try and take the Israelites off course. He used discouragement and distractions and danger. And this is just a descriptive passage we have to understand there's different kinds of stories written in the Bible and some are descriptive and some are prescriptive. Prescriptive means you should do this and others are descriptive, what, have ha what has happened? But we can draw lessons and principles from these descriptive stories and we see here a pattern that's not probably unfamiliar to most of us today. That we have faced discouragement and we have faced distractions and we have faced fear or danger. And these are the things that Sambalat shows up again and again and again. And he tries to discourage, he uses words, he tries to use fear, he uses physical threats, he tries to distract and get Nehemiah to come away from the work that he's doing. And that, that phrase, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down, is a great reminder for you and for I, for me, that we are, we are called to something that we cannot afford to get discouraged from. We are called to something we cannot afford to get distracted from. We are called to something that we cannot allow fear to rule our lives. And so this is why last week I asked you to do this, to just pursue this one simple exercise. And I know it's, it's simple, but it's time consuming. And the exercise is this, that you would just uh, sit down and you would write down the date of December 31st, 2026. And the reason for this date is that three years away gives us enough time to dream big a little bit. If you just set a one-year goal, the problem is you don't really believe that something amazing can happen in your life in one year. And so it's important to go out a little bit further. And the reason that we don't go out further than three years is because we lose a sense of urgency if we set a 10-year goal. And so three years allows us to feel that sense of urgency, but also allow us to dream a little bit. And I want you to think about your faith. Where's your faith gonna be in three years? What is your relationship with God? What does it mean for you to trust God on a daily basis in three years? What's different? What's gonna change? How is your marriage different? Your parenting, your friends. If you're not married, you're not a parent, pick some other key relationships in your life. 
Maybe you've got a sibling or parents or, or friends that mean all the world to you. What about your finances, your fitness, your career? What is that going to look like in three years? And I want you to just begin to write these things out and do so in a fashion where you're inviting God into the process. And you're asking God, God, what does it look like for me to be a light in my faith? What does it mean for me to be a light in my marriage? What does it look like for me to be a light to my spouse? And, and then more broadly, what does it look like for our marriage to actually be a light to the world? What would that look like? What would that mean? So there's your assignment, okay? One, create a life that is a light. And two, don't come down. Don't get distracted. Now, I want to finish with a story from a friend of mine. He's one of my best friends. He was in my wedding. Uh, we just went camping uh, two weekends ago with our boys who are now grown men. Um, we have been friends since we were 17, 18, 19 years old in college. And um, Bob is, uh, he's a uniquely wired individual because he is just, he has got a pastor's heart. He is a pastor through and through. Even when we were in college, you just felt like this guy is a shepherd. He's just wired to shepherd people and to lead people. He's a natural leader. He was the president of our student body in uh, college. But Bob always wanted to be a pilot. And um, so he has spent most of his life um, as a corporate pilot and then as an airline pilot. And that's been uh, different, kind of interesting for him because he's also felt like God's call on him toward ministry. And in fact, through much of his career as a pilot, he's been a part-time pastor when he's not flying airplanes, he's a part-time pastor. But um, most of the time, Bob's uh, typical gig is he flies uh, for American Airlines, he flies 777s from JFK to Europe. That's his normal haul. And so it's a lot of time together in the cockpit um, with his co-pilot. And then if you have ever worked for an airline, you know, your crew is usually together for several days on one of these trips. And so they're off away from their family. For him, it's usually five days at a time. And you have a lot of time with your crewmates. Like you're at the same hotel and you're eating at the same restaurants and you just have a lot of time together and a lot of opportunity for conversation. One of the things that Bob noticed early in his career is that um, there was just, uh, most of the guys that he flew with had a real hole in their hearts when it came to their marriage relationship. And in fact, there's, he, he's observed a tremendous amount of infidelity on the road with these airline crews. And um, he just began to ask like, God, what does it look like for me to be a light in the middle of these environments. And so I, I love this. He just developed this so simple, but brilliant tactic as they are like going through their checklist on the tarmac before they've ever left JFK, Bob will just drop something along the lines of, man, five days, I am really going to miss my wife. And he's like, nothing gets their attention like that statement. They will turn to him and they will say, wait, for real? 
I'm looking forward to these five days. My five days working is like vacation for me. I'm away from my family. I'm away from the kids. I'm away from all the hassle and the schedule. Like, honestly, we're going to Munich. Like, come on. There's this great, you know, restaurant and the whole. And Bob's like, no, I love my wife. I love my kids. And then he begins to share his story, his testimony of how his marriage hasn't always been great, how his marriage hasn't always been easy. But by surrendering to God, he's shown up and done something powerful in their lives. <laughs> and he's been able to introduce the gospel to hundreds of other people that he has flown with over the years. Your pulpit, your platform, your opportunity for being a light to the nations doesn't have to look like this, a person on a stage with a microphone. God has given you incredible opportunity to be a light. And I want to help you discover what that is. So I need you to come back next Sunday for part three of not coming down. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the vision that you have for every person in this room. I pray that you would help us to discover that that you would give us the courage to step into it even when it's daunting and we might be afraid or we might be tired or we might be discouraged. And God, I pray that you would help us to not be distracted, to not come down, but to stay focused on the why that you have for our lives. We ask all of this in your name. Amen.